Back in August, one morning I was fixing to read in my Bible, and before I began to read, I uh, checked my email. And there was an email from Mr. Brazier asking me to come here. And so when I read the email, my first thought was, I need to go there to listen and to learn. I think Mr. Brazier's got his guidance wrong. So when I opened my Bible, I was set to read in 1 Kings 17. And Elijah goes to King Ahab and says there won't be any more rain for a while. So the Lord sends Elijah to a creek. And he sends some crows. In Spanish it says crows. To feed him. So when I thought about crows, I thought about my, my days working on a dairy farm when I was young. We would plant corn and the crows would come and dig it up. So if you plant a hundred acres of corn and it doesn't rain for a couple of weeks, a flock of crows can do a lot of damage. And they know exactly where you are and what you're doing. I don't know how, but they know. <laughs> so we would have to buy corn that had some type of dust in it that the crow didn't like, so they wouldn't eat it. So that to me, one of the most unlikely animals to use would be a crow. In the fall, they would come to my aunt's house and they would eat the pecans off the trees. Well, they would get in a window and try to shoot one of the crows and hang the dead crow in the tree and they wouldn't come back. <clears throat> so, I thought, well, it's very unlikely for the Lord to send a crow. Why not a yellow lab or something that's friendly and, <clears throat> you know, very unlikely. Well, then what does the Lord do then? He sends him over to a widow's house. Not just any widow. A widow who was fixing to prepare two biscuits and she was facing death. She said, we're going to eat the two biscuits and we're going to die. A widow who obviously had no family to help her brothers or sisters. And so... I thought, well, that's probably the most unlikely person to help Elijah then. So I thought, well, Lord, you're looking for the weak. You're looking for the helpless. And so I believe I fit in that category and maybe Mr. Brazier hadn't got his guidance wrong. So I'm here, and uh, I would like for my three times that I'm to speak to encourage you. We have been facing and dealing with people who are going through a hard time. I'm just going to give you one case. On Thursday afternoons, we go to a trailer park in Nashville to have a Bible study with a Mexican family. The father has come to the Lord, and they're in their mid-50s. Last year, the wife had breast cancer. And a year later, it's come back, and they basically told her, there's nothing we can do for you. She has five grown daughters. Four of them are here. One's in Mexico, the oldest. And back in the fall, they kidnapped her son-in-law. They paid a ransom. They killed him and left him in a field. So here this lady is who hasn't seen her oldest daughter for 20 years. 
and her son-in-law is killed in such a tragic way. Her daughter gave birth a month after the fellow was killed. Now she has cancer that's back and they've told her basically there's nothing we can do to help you. When we first started in her house, there was this big picture of the Virgin Mary on the wall. I wanted to get it and throw it away real quick, but I didn't say anything about it for a while. And recently, she said, I want to give you the picture of the Virgin Mary. It was a big one. And she gave me the rosary beads. She gave me a crucifix and some other things. And she said, you'll know what to do with these. And so I thought, I sure do know what to do with them. <laughs> I took them to the dump. But anyway, she's in a difficult situation. And in our country, we're going against the culture. Increasingly, godliness abounds. Good is called evil. Evil is called good. And we live in a fallen world. And so I hope that what I have to say will encourage someone or someone's here. In John chapter 15, as I thought about abiding, John chapter 15 came to mind. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Tonight I would like to look at the first part of verse number 1. I am the true vine. Tomorrow I would like to mention pruning. He almost starts out with pruning after he mentions that he is the true vine and we're the branches. So I would like to speak something tomorrow on pruning. And I think it will be encouraging to us. So let's pray and then we'll begin. Father, we thank you for the great privilege to be in the vine in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray tonight that you would help us to see Jesus. More and more of His fullness, more and more of His sufficiency. That our vision of His person might be widened. So bless your word tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name. I'd like to read one other verse also in Isaiah chapter 9. Verse number 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. In Spanish it says, his name shall be called Marvelous. And we could go on and pile superlative over superlative. As to his excellentness, his wonderfulness, his marvelousness. And so tonight I would like to speak some on Jesus as the vine. 
There was a missionary in India who was a doctor, and in the area where he ministered, there was something in the atmosphere that caused a progressive blindness. He made a study of it, and he was able to operate and to alleviate this progressive blindness in the lives of so many people there. And in their dialect, when they could see again, they were full of joy and gladness and thankfulness. But they didn't have a word in their language, thank you. So the way they would say it, they would go and say, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. And so wherever they went, they would proclaim His name. And so we were worse off than being blind. And we could think of so many ways our need was so great. And He has done so much for us. Tonight I would like to speak of His name. To tell of His name. To speak something of His wonderfulness. His gloriousness, His sufficiency. Paul said that I might know Him. He said, for me to live is Christ. David said, one thing I have asked of the Lord. That shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. The psalmist says, I have set the Lord continually before me. And in John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they might know thee. In Spanish, there's two words to know. I know that Mr. Johnson is seated here on the front row. But a different verb to know is, I know Mr. Johnson. He has spent a week in our home. I have had contact with him over many years. So it's a personal relationship, personal contact, personal friendship. And that's the verb that Jesus uses. That they might know him whom to know right is life eternal. We need to be careful because we can be taken up with principles and doctrines which are necessary and which are very good. But we're called... Unto Him. We are placed in Him. And Christianity is Christ. And Christianity is a personal relationship with Him. In Spain, I met an English missionary who told an example one time of being in France. And he went to a national park where the Battle of Verdun was fought in the First World War. It was terrible carnage. Many, many, many soldiers died. And the river there, they say, turned red because so many soldiers had died on the shore, on the banks of the river. Being a national park, my friend visited this place. And at this place, as you finish, there's a pavilion and there's a big book where you can sign and mention any of your thoughts or any of your impressions of what's happened at the place, describing the battle in different places. 
As he was waiting to sign, there was a young lady before him. And he waited and he got up there and she obviously was an American or Englishman or English girl because it was written in English. And what she wrote was, the flowers are so beautiful. I love the way they've landscaped this place. And went on about the scenery and the beauty of the flowers. And my friend said, how tragic. She's missed the whole point of the place. It's not about the trees. It's not about the flowers. It's not about the natural beauty of that place. It's a remembrance of the thousands of men who laid their life down. That there may be freedom in France. And he said they missed the whole point. Or she did. So Christianity is all about him. And as the hymn writer said, Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. My wife and I one time were invited to go to Barcelona and to speak a devotion every night at a vacation retreat that a church had there. And several of them were our friends. And so we went and we had a little devotion every night after supper. And on the way back, we had a little tent and some chairs, and we were going to camp in the Pyrenees Mountains for three or four days. Most of Spain is open and barren in the summertime and dry, kind of like like West Texas, not all of the country, not where we lived. And so where we were coming up, it was dry and barren. And as we began to climb up in the Pyrenees Mountains, we'd come from one plateau to another one to another one. These mountains were, to me, a little different from other mountains that I had seen. And so we got up on a plateau, and there opened up to our eyes a scene of beauty. Comparing what was down below, you could see the flowers blooming, you could see the greenery, you could see the hills, the valley, the river. And it was very beautiful. So we went up to the next plateau. And there opened up another scene. That was different from the one below. There we drove up to the next plateau. And so this continues and continues to go. And it makes me think of the song we sang tonight. The last two stanzas. As he to me, opens up one plateau after another one of the beauty, the sufficiency, and the gloriousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in the last two verses. Jesus, my all and all thou art. Listen now what he says. My rest in toil, mine ease in pain, the medicine of my broken heart, In war my peace, in loss my gain. My smile beneath the tyrant's frown. There's a tyrant's frown, but his smile. In shame, my glory and my crown. In want, my plentiful supply. 
In weakness, mine almighty power. In bonds, my perfect liberty, my light in Satan's darkest hour. In grief, my joy unspeakable, my life in death, my heaven, my all. As if he's going from plateau to plateau. Seeing the beauty, the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will eternity be like to go from one to the next to the next. As he is infinite. And we plumb the depths, which we will never do. Of the wonder and the glory of his marvelous person. There was a man who lived in New England 250 years ago. And he wrote the following. Christians might avoid much trouble and inconvenience if they would only believe what they profess. That God is able to make us happy without anything else. They imagine that if such a dear friend were to die, if such a blessing were removed, they would be miserable. Whereas God can make them a thousand times happier without them. To mention my own case, God has been depriving me of one blessing after another. He was on his deathbed when he wrote this and said this. But as each one was removed, he has come in and filled its place. Now when I am a cripple and not able to move, I am happier than ever I was in my life before or ever expected to be. If I had believed this 20 years ago, I might have been spared much anxiety. He was on his deathbed and a cripple when he said that. Jesus says in John chapter 4:13, "Everyone who drinks of this water, and maybe he was pointing to the well that day at the woman at the well there, will thirst again." But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. We in Spain one time had a yellow lab in an apartment. That was the wrong thing to do. (laughs) I wouldn't do it again. But anyway, he was young and he needed exercise. So we lived about a mile and a half from the beach. And at the beach, there was a cliff, about 20 feet, and there was a pine tree there. And so I would take him down there and get a pine tree and, I mean, a pine needle, pine cone, and I would throw it down on the beach. Well, he would run down and get it and bring it up to me again and jump around wanting to go again. So I would do this 15 or 20 minutes trying to wear him down. Get all his energy out of him. Well, what would he do then? Labs like water. He would go get in the ocean and drink. And he would drink, and he would drink, and he would drink. So what happened when we got home? He was really thirsty. And he would drink and drink and drink. You see, I couldn't tell him and I couldn't explain to him, look, this is salt water. It's not going to quench your thirst. It's only going to make you thirstier. 
I couldn't explain that to him. But we can understand that. But if we're not careful, we'll be drinking of the salt water this earth and this world has to offer us. And we're only going to increase our thirst. We will never be satisfied. Jesus says, He who drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Napoleon was down in Spain, and one time when he was in Spain, there was a Spaniard that was chained to an embankment in the open air. And with a stick or something, he had made a cross in the dirt in the embankment. And on one side, he wrote the word length. On the other side of the cross, he wrote the word width. On top, he wrote the word height. And then below, he put the word depth. This was his way of saying, as that comes from Ephesians, to know the love of Christ. He was saying he is sufficient, even though I am here. Chained to this embankment. His love, its width, its depth, its height, its length is like a mighty flowing river that can never be exhausted. And He is sufficient for me here. Sometimes my wife and I look at things on YouTube about North Korea. There's some good stuff on there. There's some junk also, but they have interviews sometimes with North Koreans who have escaped and one who hadn't escaped was in North Korea and he was talking about they need prayer. But the North Koreans said, don't feel sorry for us. We have the Lord. We have the Lord. Don't pity us. Don't feel sorry for us. Yes, we're in a tough situation. But we do have the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 3, it's interesting how the devil came when he came to Eve. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said? Now he comes with a question. Has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? You mean to tell me you all can't eat from any tree here? There are hundreds of trees here. and You all can't even eat from one of them? What kind of God would that be? God's holding out on you all. Then in verse 5, what does he say? For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. The insinuation of key, of the, uh, a key I don't that's Spanish, so. <clears throat> the insinuation here is, God is not good. He's holding out on you all. He's holding back on you all. What kind of God wouldn't let you eat? 
of any of these trees. And so he wants them to doubt the goodness of God. And he comes with a question. And he comes with this insinuation. There was a lady years ago who was a missionary in the South Pacific. Her money every month came from here and she fell sick. Her money didn't arrive that month. And she had a bountiful supply of oatmeal. She must have took it from here. And her neighbor had some goats. And the neighbor gave her goat milk. And she ate goat milk and oatmeal for three months. That was all she had. So she began to question God. And the devil began to play on this. And began to attack her along these lines. Why is it that when you're sick, your money doesn't come? God is sovereign. And so she began to have a hard time. Well, three months passed. She totally recovered and her money began to come. And she couldn't understand it. Later on, she came home and she shared this experience at a church. After the experience was over, after the church meeting was over, a doctor came up to her and he asked her the symptoms of her sickness. And he continued to answer, to ask, and uh, he said, Ma'am, if you had been here, we would have prescribed oatmeal and goat's milk for three months for you. If your check had arrived and you'd have gone out and bought heavy-duty food, you'd have killed yourself. So she began to see the Lord and His great love. He is good. He is good. Psalm 107.9 says, He has satisfied the thirsty soul. And the hungry soul He hath filled with what is good. Psalm 22.26, The afflicted soul will, be, will eat and be satisfied. Psalm 16.11 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Recently I read this and I thought it was very good. The problem is our hearts are black holes of discontentment. Devouring relationships and possessions all the while screaming, I need more. We're always eating but famished. Always drinking but never satisfied. At the root of our dissatisfaction, a never-ending thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy. We've been duped into thinking that a better job, more money, cooler friends, another spouse, or a new life is really what we need. And then the fellow says this, God offers us Himself in the person of Christ. Jesus exceeds our expectations. 
He provides for our needs. He fulfills our desires. All the branch need is in the vine. And what would the branch tell us if it could talk to us about the vine? More than all in thee I find, O Christ. The branch is made for the vine. And there it will find its true fulfillment. There's a strange plant in South America that finds a moist place and it puts its roots down. Well, when the moisture is gone, the plant pulls its roots out, kind of balls itself up as a ball, and the wind blows the plant on down the road or some other field or somewhere else. Somehow the plant senses there's some moisture here. And it puts its roots down there till all the moisture is gone. And it starts the process all over again, pulling its roots out, balling itself up so the wind can roll it to a place where there's a little more moisture. And on and on it rolls, stopping wherever it finds a little water, staying there until it is exhausted. But after all its journeys, it is nothing but a bundle of dead roots and leaves. The life of this plant tells the story of those who drink only at this world's springs. They go on from spring to spring. And that the last, at the end, the longest life, this plant, is nothing but a bundle of unsatisfied desires and burning thirst. How different in Jeremiah 17. He paints us a beautiful picture here. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. And what's going to happen to that person? For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. You may be here in a drought. You may be going through a time of drought. I'm not talking about necessarily spiritually speaking. Maybe you're facing unnumbered problems and difficulties. I know a man in a a situation that I don't see any answer out, humanly speaking, for this man. And I don't know what you may be facing. But what does it say in verse 7? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when heat comes. Maybe you're in the heat. will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, 
It will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in the vine. My wife and I were in the country in a place in Tennessee and we had had some calendars that had a verse for the day and a thought for each day that you could hang on the wall and you tear one off for each day of the year. And this place, I knew some Hispanics lived there and I knew that it had been an old store out in the country years ago like when I was a boy they were here. It was a wooden building and it was kind of tall and I knew that there had been a store there. And so we went in and chatted with them and gave them the calendar and tried to witness and explain and outside the grass was all grown up and abandoned and my wife stayed in talking and I walked outside getting ready to go. And so I was observing everything outside and the bushes were way overgrown. The grass was way overgrown. You could tell it hadn't been cut for a year or so. And out there I saw one rose. One beautiful rose in this place. And I thought, what do you do with a rose? You cut it and take it and put it on your table. And it made me think of death for the Christian. And all the thorns and briars and weeds of this world, there is his rose. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring my rose in and I'm going to put my rose on the table. For me to live is Christ says Paul, and then what happens later? To die is gain. For the person to him to live is Christ. Gain is death for him. And what a beautiful picture. The Lord says, I'm going to bring my rose inside. Jesus, my all in all thou art, my rest in toil. Maybe you're in, maybe you're toiling. My rest in toil. Maybe you're in pain, but what does he say? My knees in pain. Maybe your heart's broken. The medicine of my broken heart. In war, my peace. In loss, my gain. My smile beneath the tyrant's frown. In shame my glory and my crown. Maybe you're in want and want my plentiful supply. Maybe you're in weakness. In weakness mine almighty power. In bonds my perfect liberty. My light in Satan's darkest hour. In grief, my joy unspeakable. In life, 
My life and death, my heaven, my all. And so, if we are truly His, we're branches and a wonderful vine that's sufficient for everything that may come your way. They went through fire and through water, but what does it say then? He brought them out into a wealthy place. What a wonderful Savior He is. What a wonderful person. Whose name is wonderful, whose name is marvelous. Who is always sufficient. Who is always previous. Who only doeth wondrous things. So tonight as I finish, may we find our all in all in Him. Christianity is all about Christ. We've been called to a person. We need doctrine. We need principles. But they are to lead us to a person. And I finish with one example. Martin Lloyd-Jones was on his deathbed. He had been a medical doctor and he had been on the team that attended the royal family in England. So he was on the team of the best doctors in the country. He was dying of cancer, and he knew what he had, and as a doctor, he understood what was going to happen. And every day, another doctor would come to give him a shot to help alleviate the pain. And so this doctor came and one day he said, I hate to see you so sad. And the last words of Lord Jones were, sad, no. Sad, no. So there on his deathbed, sad, no. And as John Wesley said, and best of all on his deathbed, God is with us. Lord, bless your word tonight. Open our eyes that we might see something of the wonderfulness of your person. Something of the privilege of being thine. Open our eyes from plateau to plateau that we might see more and more of the beauty, the glory, and the wonder of your person. Thanking you for the privilege of being branches placed into the vine. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.